Daniel chapter 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visitors passed through his mind as he, as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of the heaven churning, churning up the great sea. For great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. The first was like a lion, and it had wings like an eagle. It watched until its wings were torn off, and it was lifted from the ground, so it stood on two feet like a human being. And in the mind of a human, it was given to me. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard, and its back had four, four wings, like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth, it crushed and devoured its victims, and trampled underfoot wherever it was. It was different from its all, from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little which came up among them, and three of its first horns were uprooted before it. This one had eyes like the eyes of a human being, and mouth that spoke boastfully. As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wood, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision, at night I looked. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying, with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others, and that had eyes and a mouth and spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them, until 
the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. He gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them another king will arise different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and will try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hands for a time, times and half a time. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Good evening, my name's Stephen, I'm the Youth Minister at Bishop Hayington Church. Get a Bible, get Daniel 7 open, we're camping out there tonight. Isn't it amazing when a young child draws you a picture? It's so lovely to receive a hand-drawn picture, isn't it? But it's also a little bit awkward because, no offence, small children, you sort of look at this painting, this picture, this mismatch of shapes and colours of noses the size of volcanoes, of like pineapples growing out of like um, ear holes and eyeballs. You're like, what on earth is that? <laughs> but out of your mouth you say, oh thank you, what a lovely, with a long pause, I'm going to fill in the gap, what a lovely... <laughs> <laughs> and in some ways, Daniel 7 can feel a little bit like a child's drawing. We have leopards with four heads. We've got bears, like teddy bears. We've got horns everywhere. We're like, what on earth is going on? We need God's help to understand his word. So let's pray and ask him for help. Father, thank you that you speak clearly. Please speak clearly to us tonight through your word to comfort, encourage and challenge us. Amen. Daniel 7, it marks a shift in the book of Daniel. Before now, we've had some big name Sunday school classic narratives, right, haven't we? Lion's dens, blazing furnaces, right, you know, the wall. But now the genre changes. We move from narrative into what's called apocalyptic literature. That sounds scary, but actually it's really cool. It basically means the behind-the-scenes director's commentary on history. The spiritual realities behind historical events. And it usually comes in the form of like dreams and visions. So Daniel 7 through 12, we have these four visions that Daniel has um, given to him by God that explain God and his world. And they're beautiful. So let's have a look at this first one, verse 2. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven, churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. What's going on? <laughs> Luckily, with apocalyptic visions, we have an interpretation usually in the Bible. 
That's Daniel 7, verses 16 through 28. And we even get, yes, thank you, Lord, a two-verse summary. Verse 17 and 18 tells what the whole dream's about. Have a little look. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and that's the dream. Beastly kingdoms will rise, but God's king reigns. And one more thing about apocalyptic dreams in the Bible. Um, they're like looking at Brighton from the I-360. Like from up there, that high up, you can kind of see the general way of the land, roughly where the downs are, and kind of where the lanes begins and stuff, and also where home is. Well, as much as anyone can work out where home is. But, but detail from up there, you're not seeing that. Like, what my wife Lizzie is growing in our vegetable patch in the back of our garden. You can't see that from that high up, can you? Those courgettes are hidden from your view. <laughs> right? That's like apocalyptic stuff in the Bible. It's a breathtaking, wide-angle view of spiritual reality. It doesn't show us minutia and exact detail. And when we dig around too intensely looking for that stuff, that's how we can go wrong. So with that note of caution, let's have a little look what Daniel saw. He's standing there. And these four ferocious, vicious predators rise up. And did you see where they come up out? Verse 3, they came up out of the sea. The, the sea that's been whipped into a ferocious frenzy by these winds. It's from crashing waves, thunderous. And the sea in the Bible is a picture of evil, chaos, turmoil, and godlessness. These are godless, chaotic, evil kingdoms. Beastly kingdoms will rise. And let's have a little look at them. Um, verse 4. The first was like a lion. And it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so it stood on two feet like a human being. It would have looked a little bit like this. Isn't that a class drawing, by the way? That's from Candice, one of our young people. She is so talented. Thank you, Candice, please. Because they're going to help us like, really feel this vision. See, this lion, it kind of represents Babylon. Just like um, an eagle represents the USA today. Lion Babylon. Uh, and remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was uh, striving for godlike status, trying to like fly up to the heavens, right? And he was crushed short. Well, that's why this lion, verse 4, its wings are torn off. But like, just for looking at this lion, suddenly we get verse 5. There before me was, was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its nut between its teeth. A bear, fresh from slaughter most likely the medium Persian Empire. But again, uh, like its reign is short-lived, isn't it? Before verse 6, there was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. On its back it had four wings like those of a bird. The beast had four heads. The swift, deadly leopard, the Greek Empire. But again, it comes and goes. Before Daniel's uh, uh, vision is kind of consumed by this fourth beast. And this one's terrible. Have a little look at verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked. There before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening, very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. 
That's scary, right? And Daniel's at pains to show us that this beast stands alone. Three times he says it's, it's, it's different. Verse 7, it was different from all the former beasts. In verse 19, wanting to know about the vision, he says, Ask, tell me about the beast which was different from all the others and most terrifying. And then verse 23, an explanation, we're told it's a kingdom different from all the other kingdoms. This is devouring, trampling, destroying. This is scary. And what is it, this, this fourth beast? Well, you know how the other three beasts are, are like animals that we know. So a lion, like a, a, a bear, like a leopard. They kind of have direct parallels to Babylon, to Media Persia, to, to Greece. This fourth beast it is general. So yes, it links to Rome, but more than that, it's a picture of godless kingdoms and kings and powers on this earth. I mean, beastly kingdoms will rise. And have a look at this beast. Um, uh, in verse 7, it had ten horns. Now, horns are symbols of power in the Bible. I mean, think rhino. <laughs> Is that a rhino or do they make a different noise? I don't know. Anyway, it has ten of them. A number of completeness. This beast is a representation of complete power and evil. It's scary. Terrifying. These beastly kings are devouring, they're crushing, they're destroying, are fighting each other, grabbing power. And they're unstable too. Because uh, while Daniel's looking at this beast, um, a little horn emerges, like a kind of apex of power. And verse 8, it uprooted three of the um, other horns before it. This is unstable power and evil and chaos. Beastly kingdoms will rise. Have you ever been around a raging, wild, vicious animal before? I have. Twice recently. Seagull. Seagulls and oh, there's two in particular. Okay, there's Frank up by the old crescent, and then there's um, Trevor up by the Texaco garage. These two seagulls are terrifying. In fact, I won't walk down Fallowfield Crescent anymore because of Frank. See, see, like they see me coming, and they start squawking. Holy spine curdling noise that makes me like shiver, and then they start swooping, like die for me, they're like this close, over and over again. And, and when they start swooping, I start running like zigzagging, avoiding them, get trying to get out of the way. I even run onto the road because facing a car is more favourable than facing a wild, ravaging seagull. They are scary. <laughs> Uh, so imagine Daniel standing there, seeing these beasts tearing devouring. This ain't no swooping seagull. This is like a feeding time at the apocalyptic zoo. It's terrifying. Beastly kingdoms will rise. Because these beasts, they're kind of showing us a pattern we, we should expect to see in the world. That the, the kings, that nations, that rulers, that people will be grabbing power, devouring, trampling, oppressing others, chasing, fighting. That's scary. And we may even see that on a small scale in ourselves. I mean, how often do you and I act like those beasts, like chasing promotion at the expense of others, or using our positions of authority as leaders, as um, parents, as older siblings, to crush others and get our own way? That's like the beast of the earth. 
Well, we see it uh, um, played out in history too, don't we? It's estimated that between 12 and 29 million Indian people died of starvation whilst India was under the rule of the British Empire. Isn't that awful? Um, or the Rwandan genocide in the 1990s, or, or the Turkish massacre of Armenians in 1914, or the Holocaust. Horrifying abuses of a power, oppressing, crushing others. History is beastly. And yet, these atrocities shouldn't surprise us if we've understood Daniel 7. Because beastly kingdoms will rise. And yet, the worst is in store for God's people. Remember that little horn, that apex of pure evil. Right? Look what he's doing in verse 21. The horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. In verse 25, he will speak against the Most High blasphemy and oppress the holy people and try to change the set times and laws. This is like a direct, personal, vindictive assault on God's people. In other words, like God's people, Christians, we're going to suffer. We're going to be oppressed. We're going to be persecuted on this earth. It shouldn't shock us when it's hard or even dangerous to live as a Christian in this world. In our families, in our workplaces. And why isn't that? Like, Open Doors estimates that over 260 million Christians are persecuted daily for their faith. That shouldn't shock us. Because beastly kingdoms will rise that go against, directly against God's people. And that's scary. In fact, the assault is so ferocious, so relentless. Look how Daniel responds in verse 28. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale. You can kind of sense his heartache. You can sense his concern, his dismay, his, his fear. Beastly kingdoms will rise. We live in a world where it looks like humans rule and are in charge and God's out of the picture. And that's scary. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we're faced with this vicious onslaught? Well, in Revelation 13, John has a very similar apocalyptic dream to Daniel. Right? There's a beast that emerges from the sea. And more than that, in verse 2, Revelation 13, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. Does that sound familiar? In fact, this beast is devouring, waging war against God's people. And so what does John say? In Revelation 13.10, he says, This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Beastly kingdoms will rise. But God's people stand firm and keep on. But like that's hard, isn't it, when faced with this vicious onslaught? So how do we do that? Well, back in Daniel 7, we need to see the three things that Daniel saw that brought calm and peace. Three times, Daniel 7 verses 9 to 14, it says, I looked, I watched, I looked. Three things. Because can you notice how, like, how like, um, there's a massive contrast in verse 9? We move from raging, crashing, foaming waves and fighting, roaring beasts... Can you hear it? Calm, peace, still. 
In fact, this is clear. Even the structure like changes. We move from like prose and description into poetry. Now, uh, I've got a theory. Uh, my theory is that um, enjoying poetry is a sign that you're getting older. So, like, I'm starting to appreciate form and verse and iambic pentameter more and more as I'm getting older, whatever that means. Because <laughs> poetry is ordered and structured and beautiful. And here, Daniel starts using that to describe the heavenly words. It's almost like normal words won't do. They ain't good enough. You need the loveliness and beauty of poetry to describe the heavenly words. And so what Daniel see when he's looking? Well, the first thing to see is to see the rule of the Ancient of Days. When the chaos of earth is too much, we need a massive, mighty, big vision of God. Have a look at verse 9. The, as I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, when we use the, the, the word ancient, that's like an insult, right? If you start calling me ancient, Steve, I'm not taking that. No, thank you. No, rooted. KO, no. No, no, no. Ancient Steve, not a good girl. But ancient of days. Well, this is the only time in the Bible God's called ancient of days. And it kind of means the ever-living, everlasting, eternal one who's been around forever and will be around forever. He lasts. Not like those beasts of the earth. And did you see what the Ancient of Days is doing? Verse 9. The Ancient of Days took his seat. Amidst the chaos of earth, there ain't no panic in heaven. Yes! He's not swayed, he's just sitting. These beasts are like toddlers playing with toys before him. There ain't no panic in heaven. See the rule of the Ancient of Days. And just notice how he has all authority here. Because right? he's sovereign. That kind of means that he's in charge. And Daniel loves showing us the sovereignty of God. Throughout his book he's been doing that. And we see it again here. Because did you notice how every single beast is limited in one way or the other? So, so verse 4, the lion is lifted from the ground, its wings are torn off by someone bigger and more powerful. And, and verse 5, the leopard, and also the bear is told to get up and eat. And verse 6, the leopard is given authority. Even the little horn in verse 25. The holy people are delivered into his hands. See the rule of the ancient days. He's in charge. He's calling the shots. So we can relax. We can trust him. As Melissa Kruger said, God's sovereignty allowed him to trust him that his promises. If one iota of the universe were outside his domain, I could not rescue. But we can rescue. Because he's in control. Yes! See the rule of the ancient of days. And look how he described in verse 9, his clothes was white as snow, he's pure and holy. And, and verse 9 again. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing. Fire is a picture of judgment. See, firstly, we need to see the rule of the ancient days, but secondly, we need to see the ruin of the beast of the earth. Because did you see how easily they're dispatched by the ancient days? In verse 11, the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Boom, it's gone! See the ruin of the beast of the earth. But also, verse 26, even the horn 
His power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. What comfort. Beastly kingdoms will rise, but they don't last. See the ruin of the beast of the earth. Yes. And thirdly, and so gloriously, see the reign of the Son of Man. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked. There before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Woo! See the reign of the Son of Man. Um, now, what's your favourite name for yourself? Well, my wife Lizzie. Uh, her name is Lizzie. Uh, she's not Elizabeth, not Libby, not Lily, not Beth, not Betty, not um, Elizabeth or Liz. She's Lizzie. <laughs> Uh, it's Lizzie with an I, not an I, E, or a Y. I love this the hard way. <laughs> Lizzie, that's her favourite name for herself. Well, what's yours? Do you know Jesus' favourite name for himself? Little clue, Daniel chapter 7. Son of man, he uses this name for himself over 77 times in the Gospels. And each time he's thinking Daniel chapter 7, and so should. Because what a description this is, right? He's the only one worthy of approaching and entering the presence of the Ancient of Days. Wow! But more than that, his name, Son of Man. It kind of highlights his manness. He's a son of man. He's not a beast, he's a human. But also, we see his godness here, because verse 13, he comes with the clouds of heaven. Clouds are like Old Testament language for, the, for God's covering when he rocks up. This is God Almighty. See the reign of the Son of Man. Because he is king. See, Daniel 7, when do these events in verse 13 and 14 take place? When does the Son of Man ascend to the Father to receive his crown? Well, it links so beautifully to our morning service series in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus ascends in cloud he ascends to receive his crown only his crown is not a broken crown it's a much more beautiful and spectacular crown <laughs> it's like through his life, death, resurrection and ascension Jesus the son of man rises to take his rightful place and rule and reign the king is in session see the reign of the son of man and just look at what kind of king he is verse 14 he was given authority, glory and sovereign power all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him he's got some serious power and backing right and yet, he doesn't abuse his power like the beast of the earth. No, no, no. He, he's not a grabber. He's a giver. Look at verse 27. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the most. With all his authority, all his power, the Son of Man gives and serves. He gives his life on a cross so that he can give his kingdom to, verse 27, the holy people of the Most High. That's all, that's Christians who trust in Jesus. See, if we trust in him, we are welcomed into his kingdom. A kingdom that is free from the beast of the earth. 
free from pain and that lasts forever. Because he gave his life on the cross. What a king! See the reign of the Son of Man. And actually, what a great example for us. Like, do we reflect him in how we, you and I use our power, our position, our authority? We should be servants with that. And Philippians 2, looking out for the interest of others, not for ourselves. To reflect our glorious king who gives his life for us. See, beastly kingdoms will rise, and when that's scary, look. See the rule of the ancient of days. See the ruin of the beast of the earth, and see the reign of the Son of Man. And find comfort. Because I think Daniel 7 is supposed to make us feel stuff. We're supposed to be rightly scared of the beast of the earth. Their power is real. They're real. And that's bad news for Christians. It's going to be tough. But we keep on going. We keep on going. So when it is so tricky and so dangerous and so scary on this earth, lift your eyes to peek through the curtains of heaven to see the rule of the the ancient days, the rule of the beast of the earth and the reign of the Son of Man and find Okay, he's got this. As Dale Ralph Davis said, seeing this secret behind history may not keep people from pain, but it should keep them from panic. There ain't no sweat in heaven, so we can rest on this earth. Beastly kingdoms will rise, and when they do, see the rule of the ancient of days, the ruin of the beast of the earth, and the reign of the Son of Man, and take heart. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you rule. Thank you that your son reigns and that the beast of the earth will be ruined. Help us to take great comfort from that. Amen.